Welcome to the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with various Canadian experts, including doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and today, an entrepreneur, to break down the evidence behind a whole foods plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today I am joined by Margot Corey to talk about being a corporate advisor for ethical startups and much more. Margot has started a wide range of companies and eco-brands, including founding a global 100% plastic-free vegan company. She is also a corporate advisor for ethical startups, especially those wanting to be vegan for the environment, human health, and animal welfare. She is now working with the Plant Futures Initiative, especially the chapter at Harvard University, where she mentors students on their mission towards a plant-based future at Harvard and beyond. Stay tuned for our conversation where we hear exciting updates about her work with this team. Margot is certified in holistic plant-based nutrition with a focus on longevity. She has studied what the longest living people on earth have in common and loves helping families like hers, as demonstrated by the initiative Rising Mothers, where her aim is to create a community of parents raising their children on plants and who want to live healthier and longer. She has been a guest speaker at both St. Thomas and Harvard University and a frequent lecturer on animal rights, environmental issues, animal agriculture, ethics, and true human health. Margot has worked with leaders on helping farms switch from farming animals to farming plants. She believes that authenticity is paramount, especially in the professional landscape, and she loves finding ways to truly add value to people's lives. Hi, Margot. Welcome to the Plant-Based Canada podcast. It's so wonderful to have you join us today. Thank you so much, Steph. It's really nice to be here. I really appreciate it. From what I've seen and heard, you have an impressively diverse background and set of skills from linguistics and languages to being an artist and speaker to influencing the corporate world. How did it all begin specifically as it relates to your plant-based story? How were you introduced to plant-based practices and how did it become a part of your life? Yes, great uh, beginning question here. Great, great start because uh, everyone has a story and um Mine isn't unlike many people. I remember coming across some information, basically some videos, some excerpts from a movie called Earthlings. And I immediately um, was was shocked because we've been conditioned to believe for so long that farming practices that that uh, animals, you know, it's a beautiful idyllic scene, right, of, of where food comes from. So I discovered the truth, looked into it, and of course, it took me down this path and I, and I decided that I don't want to inflict this harm indirectly or directly on animals. So I went, I went vegan for ethical reasons. Then I, this was 12 years ago, then I did some, some research on the health benefits because I knew at the time I wanted to start having children as well. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, nutritionally it was giving me what I needed. And luckily, unbelievably, what I discovered is that our way of eating had been a huge mistake. I, I discovered that the food system as it was, and it's, it still is hurting human health more than helping it. So it was really a pleasant surprise that the health benefits, you know, were, were, were there with a plant-based diet and that's where it all started. 
It's so interesting to hear everybody's different stories, especially it seems like things just that we come across in our day-to-day lives or that we look into ourselves that can have such an impact and influence. And I'm not quite sure if this is the case, but did that have any influence on how you got started in founding such a wide range of companies and ecological brands? I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about them and how they came about, starting with the inspiration and then getting into the more fundamental details of the process of how you actually went about starting a business and from the aspects of the process and key things to consider. So starting with the inspiration, where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was born into a family of entrepreneurs. So really, we my parents had businesses and I was always an entrepreneur at heart. Then I decided to go another route. I did. Uh, I, I went, I studied in Paris, France, and also in Spain. And I Um, lived in Japan, I got some languages under my belt and decided to become a teacher. So I taught for many years in the school system. uh, But it was always inside of me saying, Oh, you know, this is, it wasn't where I was supposed to be. So I started some companies. Uh, My biggest one was a really successful real estate development company on the east coast of Canada. I own several properties here. Then, you know, fast forward to when I discovered this lifestyle, because I always say, you know, veganism really plant it's it's the diet is just part of it veganism is kind of a a lifestyle philosophy whereby we we try to do as little harm as possible so it's a new set of lenses through which um we see the world and so my my journey uh opening companies changed as well because i wanted to make sure that my my works my work and my ethics were aligned and so so I switched what I was doing. I remember I, I didn't know what I was going to do. We opened up a juice bar <laughs> and we're like, yeah, let's just uh, start a juice bar. We got it to a certain level and then sold it. So I've sold a few companies and then decided to um, continue doing some uh, zero waste products. And now I, I'm just so blessed because my work is really, uh, it feels like it's an alignment. I wake up every single day, very excited because I feel that, I am supporting organizations that are creating systemic change for the world. So, so now it's really a beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, being on like your, your podcast and what you're all doing here uh, at plant-based Canada is just amazing as well. So I want to, I want to do my part and see if I can add value and support. That's yeah. I'm a corporate advisor for some ethical and sustainable brands as well. Well, first, thank you very much for those kind words. Uh, You mentioned this transitional time that you went through. How was that for you? Because you mentioned that it was 12 years ago that you came into so-called the plant-based lifestyle. And I feel like our environment or our society was a very different kind of place at that time, especially in response to a plant-based lifestyle. How was that for you? Very different from what it is today. I agree. We've come a long way, haven't we, in the last 10 years, I feel. Uh, At the time, I was in eastern Canada. I lived between the west coast and the east coast. There were not a lot of options. We didn't know what we were doing. We grew up in a family that just, if if it didn't have uh, an animal part or meat on the menu, then it wasn't really a a meal. And so we, um, in terms of exactly like how difficult it was to transition, I mean, we, we just 
I have to discover a whole new world of recipes, which is wonderful too, because it makes, it actually forced me to be an amazing cook, you know, it forced me to be a, like, really like try hard to, to add spices and uh, blend things. And so that was wonderful. But when I, I want to just touch a little bit on, if that's okay, about my journey as a mother too, because at the time we decided that we wanted children and um, as a mother, you know, going through the medical system as well. So my first child was born in hospital. My second child, my second, my second and third child, they were born at home with midwives and in a, in a pool. So it was very different, but um, the system is so conditioned and is so it runs deep and so the food at the hospital the doctors you know basically I you have to be a very strong mother even today if you're going through a vegan pregnancy through the system because you will be told basically you're abusing your unborn baby or you'll be told that a vegan pregnancy simply isn't possible or healthy that's what I was told so luckily I was I don't know, strong, I say a little bit stubborn, I did my own research. And I discovered that it's actually quite the opposite. We um, every single micro and macronutrient can be found in a plant form. So what I decided to do is go right to the source, why would I need this middle animal middle thing, you know, this uh, filter that housed all my house the nutrients when I can go right to the source. So So I discovered, so it was amazing. I had the healthiest pregnancies and three vegan since birth children. Um, My first was, is what had some animal products at the beginning, grandparents and, and, you know, different influences, but you know, our second two, and now of course they make their own choices. They're 10, eight and five. And it's really fascinating for any parent listening. It's really mind blowing what we can do when we give them autonomy over their choices, simply by telling them the truth about what happens and where their food comes from, and what their food actually is. So I love encouraging parents stuff. Like I love just telling them, you know, do your own research, of course, please look at the data, if you have to look at the evidence, go for it. But inherently, we know that um, our human bodies are intended to eat plants. And that's something I think as children, we're born knowing, we're born knowing that we eat the veggies and the fruit, and this is what we love and salivate um, over. But we, we look at animals, and we really don't look at them as food, we're conditioned and forced to eat them. Speaking of motherhood, I do want to hear more about your organization, Rising Mothers. But first, I have a question about raising children who are vegan. And you mentioned that you're giving them their autonomy. Do you find that they are very aware of where their food comes from and what types of nutrients are in their foods? Or what is your perspective on that? And because sometimes I find that not everybody knows that a carrot is grown in the ground when they're growing up, that is, and so forth. So what has your experience been with that? It's a very interesting one, because you're right. We are, there's a disconnect between where our food, any food comes from. And just a side note, what I find really interesting is most people want to know where their carrots come from, or now they're like, oh, is it local? Or is it where did it come from? Yet when we mention their animal products or their hamburgers or something, they really don't want to see where that comes from. You know, there's just just a side note on that disconnect. As for the children, to answer your question, we um, told ourselves, each other and them from day one, we would tell them the truth, no matter what age appropriately, we would share with if they asked a question, they're going to get the truth from us. So that has built confidence and trust. And it's been a beautiful journey. So 
they know about, uh, you know, artificial color and they know about um, what we have learned about dyes and flavor and preservatives and packaged foods and, of course, meat, dairy and egg in the industry. They know all that. So my 10 year old, I catch him all the time. He's only 10, but he reads labels like before he, he picks up before he buys anything. If it's in a package, he'll read the label and then he'll say things like, Oh, mom, look, we're buying lemons. We don't need to read these. You know, they're a lemon. And so it's a beautiful thing. My my five-year-old, if if he is just craving ice cream, you know, as a kid, if you're at a birthday party or you're, we were in Prince Edward Island the other last week um, camping, and it was such an amazing experience. And he was cr- craving ice cream. And he will ask the, the person, he'll say, is there an animal in this? <laughs> you know, he's so cute. He'll say, and they'll, they'll, they'll understand eventually, but he will not eat it if there's dairy in it. And this is his own, you know, it's, I, they probably feel that I could be disappointed possibly, but I would, I always give them their, their choice. And he, uh, they ask about the cones as well. Like, is there dairy in the cone? Are there eggs in it? And, um, it's been a beautiful thing. So autonomy, I feel is really important. And also with our partners, you know, because I went vegan 12 years ago, my partner, Joshua, it's been five years for him. And so he was still eating animal products. And I was, I'm really fortunate to have found information from other couples that have done this successfully. I really didn't shun, shun, deep down, I was a little bit dying inside I never cooked the food but I just couldn't cook an, an animal product but Joshua went um went vegan all on it all on his own and so just a shout out to all the couples out there who it's a really difficult thing because it's about ethics and morals and we know we know where the food comes from and what happens to it but if you hold out and if you just understand that it you know on their own time it could happen um and yeah. So I want to uh, just a shout out to couples and also um, anyone with children, please feel free to, uh, to reach out. It's awesome. That's, it sounds like you're really opening up this discussion about our food and our food systems, not only with your children, but with your partner and being able to have those open conversations and also for your children to be thinking about these things and asking those questions, not only like within the family, but to others as well. That's so great to see to hear about it is it is and you know a lot I do a lot uh, get a lot of people saying you know that's not a fun childhood to always be scrutinizing labels and just let them you know let them have their treats and to them knowing what any artificial ingredient does to their brains like they're just very aware and intelligent of course but like all children are they want to know how if you ask a child how do you feel after if you're eating lots of sugar or you lots of artificial things like they really the feeling inside of them their bellies and their brains and it really doesn't feel good if you allow them to to um take a moment and feel and so that's what I've done with my children and they know how icky it makes them feel so they you know as I said Maddox reads the labels of the products that we buy and it's been amazing it's so interesting to hear like the thought process and the figuring out the why something is the way it is and the response to that. (laughs) I do also want to mention the corporate side of that, the business. We consumers uh, have a responsibility to read and to know what's in our food. But I also feel that company owners like myself in in the past and like all the company owners, we also have a responsibility to provide more 
healthy ingredients, ingredients that aren't going to, you know, that are proven to lead to disease. I, I, it's definitely the company's responsibility as well. So, and of course the government's, but uh, we'll get there. I believe I've heard you say the quote, vote with your dollars before, and that that not only applies to the consumer, but also the corporations or companies that are producing different products and where they source their information from. Can you speak a little bit more towards that? Yes, definitely. So we've probably all heard that every time we buy something, it's sort of a, a vote. It shows the business that it's popular. And so if that's why when I... um. I do read from a lot of people who are plant-based or vegan saying, oh, I don't eat at KFC or I don't eat, you know, at a, anywhere they have one plant-based option. But, um, and not that we eat fast food, but if a restaurant, if we're driving or if we're on the road, you know, across Canada or something, and it's our only uh, choice, we do, we, we don't mind supporting that one choice at that restaurant because it does show that it is popular. So that's voting with our dollar and corporations can as well. Um, we had a product that was used to be in plastic. It was it was a, a healthcare product, skincare that was in plastic, and we sourced out zero waste sustainable packaging. And we took it upon ourselves as a company to pay a little bit extra just to provide this packaging that was better for the earth and better for humans because we all know plastic gets into our water and into our skin. And that is something that when I see companies do, it's a it's an amazing thing because I do know intimately how challenging it can be for companies to, to switch. It's not only more expensive, it's difficult to source still today, really easy to source plastic glass as well, but glass is water intensive. And so just a small example of how corporations can take responsibility for something that's healthier. No, the packaging becomes cheaper as well, right? The more we buy it. Mm -hmm. The more people that are asking for it and using it, it helps with yeah. the costs, I can imagine. And it's so interesting to hear the behind the scenes aspect. Like it's not only that even if companies wanted to and even were willing to pay more, that just the availability of it is limited at this time as well. Yes. I just want to circle back to rising mothers. Um, you had mentioned motherhood and having children um, and all the questions that you delved into for that. And I saw at the online that there is a summit in September at the time that this podcast release, it will have already happened. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what is rising mothers and what is this summit all about and what are its main aims and goals? Definitely. Thank you so much for asking about it. It's definitely a passion project because I am a mother. And as I mentioned before, I see mothers. I have clients as mothers right now, actually, who uh, are struggling basically with uh, their own health. Um, we as mothers also, if we come from a, a background that didn't eat plants to begin with, there's a lot of abuse we've given our bodies. So we need to heal from that. So the summit is joining all the amazing people and experts, Dr. Zaharan and uh, Shireen are on as well, both of them. And it's a longevity summit, really, it's about health, longevity, and longevity to us is all the pillars, for example, not just nutrition, but it's about um, mindset and purpose, and helping mothers through the most challenging, difficult, times 
because we are still a minority and we're still kind of kind of chopping through the jungle of this information. So, for example, Dr. Zahra and, and Shireen uh, Kassam, both of them, the information they're putting out is um, all of you, those, you know, everything that you're doing and so many other organizations right now. It's priceless. It's like it's like it has the potential to change the course of humanity, actually, because we know what our birthright is in terms of nutrition. So this this summit is really just to help mothers through that and um, provide a, a community and a space where we can all gather and support each other and find strength and really just have transparent, authentic conversations. So we've brought together some unbelievable people and the conversations like this that we're having are very um, casual, very authentic. For example, the Phoenix family, um, Hart Phoenix, Joaquin's mom, his sisters, and, you know, Dr. Esselstein's on there because he talks about heart, heart health. And also people like Dana Martin my, and my, my friend Dana, who talks about unschooling children, just making sure they have a beautiful existence, honoring the child. That all has to do with what I call a lifespan, increasing lifespan and longevity. What else can I say? <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about Rising Mothers in general? Like, is this an annual conference or is this a special one-time event that happened in September? Well, my plan is this is a one-time event for now, and we'll see in the future. I mean, we have a very unbelievable, like an unbelievable audience so far and, and list and um, excitement around it, but we'll be launching it in September, uh, Steph, and then hopefully it will be an annual thing. But I am launching a, a private community as well for mothers that will be very powerful. And uh, every Tuesday we'll have really just dive into the information that I wish I had when I was when I was uh, first becoming a mother, for example. And uh, these people that I have that we have gathered um, are just so beautiful and sharing such precious information like Dr. Will Tuttle. He has the world peace diet. So very excited. But hopefully it will be an annual an annual project. And uh, hopefully, you know, mothers will resonate because we are we are the mothers. And so I think gathering is a beautiful thing. Something for us to keep our eyes open for. Thank you. I was wondering, you mentioned a private group. Would you be able to share if people are interested in finding out more information about this or joining this where they could do so if it's yeah. available at this time? Yes, actually, it's just the website. It's uh, www.rising-mothers.com. And you can link it if you'd like. And through that link, once you um, subscribe, that summit will always be free. We're not charging for it. It will, will. It's just a free resource. And then through that, I'll be offering this private group. And feel free to ask me any questions in there. So every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be I'll be live there. And then also just uh you know, gathering with, with other mothers and women. So, and fathers, of course, are welcome and families because this is about a family project. And we feel it's, this is the reason why um, we even started this is because if we can start children off basically clean slate right from day one, you know, from birth, it is absolutely amazing what can happen because they haven't been exposed to the addictive qualities of meat, dairy, or eggs, or what it does to our systems. And for some people listening, it might be a shock to hear that it's the wrong way of eating. But um, I know the guests you've had on, obviously, you've heard this information before, we need to start talking about the future of this planet. And so I believe it all starts with the children from a very young age. 
It's very interesting to have those conversations and to see what other individuals' experiences are like as well. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing the link. We'll add that in the show notes so that anybody who's interested can find out more there. I want to hear more. Earlier, you mentioned about being a corporate advisor. What does this mean? And what sort of things do you do as a corporate advisor? Well, that's so lovely. I am I am right now an advisor with like I help companies. My passion is to um, obviously as an entrepreneur, I love seeing companies grow. I love the startup phase, the ideation, the branding and all of that. But we need ethical and sustainable companies to succeed. And there are so many starting and also so many closing because number one, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It's a, it's a real, you know, life commitment and it takes a lot. And so what I aim to do is to make that process a little bit easier for my, the companies that I'm helping. And I have a few for-profit companies, product companies, amazing brands, but also I have some nonprofits I'm helping too. Um, Plant Futures Initiative is one of them, um, started by Samantha Derrick, who's amazing. And I love working with her team. And through that, actually, I met her through some lecturing I did for, um, for a class at Harvard, Dr. Saha's class. And now we have this Plant Futures Harvard chapter. And the students at Harvard, I'm sort of there as a support, just like the professors are. And it's just such a beautiful thing to watch them take over. And I do want to mention some projects we're doing there because it's, it's, they're blowing my mind. They're, they took their whole summer, even their time off and focused on this initiative because it's such a passion for them when it comes to animal rights and so on. And so we have a video project that we've been working hard on this summer. They've been completely taking initiative and um, bringing together some unbelievable voices. We'll be launching that uh We'll be sharing that with the White House before their conference on health, nutrition, and health and hunger. That sounds like such an incredible opportunity. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about Plant Futures initiatives. From what I understand and from their websites, um, they mentioned that they're a global movement at the intersection of public health, social justice, climate justice, and animal welfare. And their work is proactively facilitating a time-critical transformation for planetary sustainability and ultimately the survival of humanity. So mm. can you break that down for us? Like, What are yeah. some of the things that Plant Futures Initiatives does and sure. what are your goals with it? Yes, absolutely. I've been working quite closely with uh, Samantha and um, really now, so they started, she saw a lack uh, of, um, there wasn't a program uh, at Berkeley, basically started at, at Berkeley. Um, and she is a graduate there and decided to create this amazing initiative. What it really is, is a, it acts as a bridge between corporations, ethical, um, sustainable brands and corporations and students who are eager and amazing. They have a program where it's like a, a challenge lab where they, the students go through this as one of their courses, a whole semester, and they go through this challenge lab and it gets them ready to be unbelievable uh, partners with these corporations. It's such a beautiful project. Every year they do have a symposium, actually a live symposium. The first one ever, they had 600 people uh, attend and which was quite amazing, you know, very little marketing and, and all of that. And 
they're just working so hard on that. So it's really my pleasure to be there and such an honor to be supporting them and their chapters. They have now 30 chapters. Uh, if you go to that, that page on their site. So we plan, so we have so many plans there. One I can, I will share with you because I, I'll be working very intimately on it and helping with this. We're going to do a panel discussion, like a virtual panel discussion with, you know, people like former president, hopefully former president uh, Clinton and people who have gone plant-based themselves um, and Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Clapper, Michael Clapper, and so many other amazing people. And this panel will be just a discussion with all of us on why plant-based is the future with the goal of launching it through Harvard and hopefully encouraging that campus to go plant-based, to go vegan, their dining halls, because they claim sustainability and they claim they want um, health health for their their students' brains and bodies. And so this is the obvious next step. Then my hope is that other universities follow suit. That's one project that I'm really excited about. That sounds really cool. And it's also really cool that you're working on this, that it's taking um, things at the university level. But then also you mentioned the video project for the conference at the White House on hunger, nutrition and health that yeah. you're working with the students at Harvard for. So you're taking it from the university and to the broader government. So can you tell us a little bit more about that video project and this conference? Yeah, so this is the first time in, in 50 years that the White House is doing anything like this. So we needed to take this opportunity. And usually when anything government or something like the White House comes up, I don't really put a lot of weight into it because it takes such a long, it's a long process. Policy change is so incredibly slow. Not that it's not important work when organizations are trying to change subsidies and things like this. But I really don't, um, I, I really feel like my personality is, more of um, I want to see the change, you know, or I um, I want to affect change a little faster. I was in the farm transition movement for a while as well and helped some farmers. And with this project, we just had to take the opportunity to do it because it's it, it has a big potential to be high impact. And the video is a montage of just I can tell you a little bit about who's involved, but just the most beautiful people. Many of them are really recognizable, um, high profile, but also we're including many people who've experienced hunger themselves. And just to say a very simple sentence, who they are and plant-based is, and then what they, what it means to them. So for example, um, someone like Dr. Esselstein would say uh, plant-based is heart health, right? Or, Someone like um, James Wilkes will say plant-based is strength, you know, so, so we just have different people saying what it means to them. And um, yeah, it's just a, a beautiful thing. And we'll be editing it and putting it all together and then launching it. And so hope, and then we also want to launch it on social media and through different, and hopefully if it resonates here with you, you'll be able to share as well. And it's, um, I'm so proud of these students that I, I really, I know that it will be a, a beautiful, successful project. Well, please keep us posted on that and all the best with the upcoming conference. Thank you. We will. So you've, you've been a corporate advisor for Plant Futures Initiatives, as well as for other ethical startups. What are some of the important messages or practices that you feel businesses or organizations need to consider based on your experiences? There's so many. I love, I mean, I always go back to some experiences that I've, that I've had. I always when an, 
I have a lot of entrepreneurs reach out that are starting companies. Hey, do you think it's a good idea? Or do you, what do you think of this? Or, you know, many people think about it a few different ways. If a product already exists, that's not a reason not to do it, right? So we know all the plant-based meats and whatever they're creating uh, because marketing is everything, right? And, and how, how, we, how we launch the brand is everything as well. At the same time, um, I always encourage entrepreneurs to look at what they want to do. It's a lifelong commitment or can be or at least for a few years, you're not going to have a company for five years and, and pray that it's success. That's a beautiful story when it happens, but it's a lot of um, effort. And sometimes organically it grows depending on the funding they have uh, or sometimes not. But I always tell them, you know, okay, you, if you can picture yourself doing this for the rest of your life, then yes, do it. But if you cannot picture yourself doing it for the rest of your life, don't even do it for one day, you know, like don't even do it for a week or a month because it's just, it's such a beautiful thing when you see their eyes light up. So to me, when pe like people talk all the time about what makes you happy and what's your purpose and what, yeah, what, I guess, what's your purpose? What's financial freedom to you? Um, to me, it's doing something every single day that just drives me out of bed. And that's what I try to tell them, even though I do know a lot of amazing entrepreneurs who do open up companies that they're not passionate about and they take the money and invest it into something incredible because that's essentially what we want is more, more of the uh, veg economy. Veg, what is Jane Velez Mitchell says the veg economy or something more money funneling into the system of ethical companies and sustainability. But as it as yeah, so I can talk a lot about that. But the young entrepreneurs do need to know that it's um it's a it's a real commitment. What happens if somebody's like, okay, I have this great idea and yes, it's something that I'm so excited about. It gets me out of the, out of my bed in the morning and I know it's something that I want to dedicate so much time and effort to in Canada. Where does somebody begin for something like that? Depends what it is. Do you mean like uh, how to start a business, how to basically start from scratch? Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, well, <laughs> really important to do research on who's out there what's what's happening in that space who the audience is create the exact avatar for the for the for the product meaning who will be your buyer and how you know learn how to speak to them and see that if it's a product that you will love using yourself that you're you know that you stand behind obviously if it's a physical product there's a lot, I really love encouraging entrepreneurs to look at doing things online too, because the future really right now is, you know, virtual and online. And there's so many, like my summit, for example, is not an in-person summit. It's a virtual summit for a reason, but uh, how to get started in Canada. I mean, there's all the steps available. You look, look up the um, branding, look up if it already exists, the competition. And then I would encourage people to look at, um, finding a mentor as well, if they can, if they're new, new to entrepreneurship. And if it's, I love talking to people who have created companies and failed several times, because to me, if they're opening up another company, it just shows that that failure, what we call failure um, is such an un unbelievable lesson and experience. So every company that I've closed or failed at has given me more lessons than anything I could ever win at. You know, when someone wins fast, it's like their experience is a little bit lacking than someone who has done it and done it and done it and tweaked and fixed and 
you know, gone through all the challenges. I want to work with those entrepreneurs who are starting something after all that. Sounds like, okay, there's going to be challenges, but it's how do you address them? What do you learn from them? Are there any challenges that you've experienced that stand out to you? And then on the flip side, are there any highlights or memories that have stayed with you about your experiences of founding a business or being a corporate advisor that you're just like, oh, this makes it all worthwhile? Yes, it's when, uh, yeah, I did have a company I work with that their product finally, it was amazing. It's like, oh, you know, the sales aren't coming through. And then these days with algorithms and copy and, and everything that goes behind what makes something viral or what makes something, you could have the best product in the entire world, but if there's not enough traffic going to it, it will, it will be a flop. Um, or the best website, the most gorgeous site in the world. So those are the challenges that come with um, launching something because we all, when we launch something, we love it. We live it every day. We're in that bubble and we like, we're like, of course, this is going to do, look at this. This is beautiful, but it's not always the case. So it's one, I guess, to talk to that a little bit more directly, one of the challenges that I have faced is wearing all the hats. So it's really easy for a founder or a company owner to want to keep the money within the company, which is smart um, and it can go both ways. But I also feel it's so important to bring on talent and skills that we lack and that fills in the gaps. And so if we all work within our strengths and our skills, that is really what makes a beautiful startup and company, which is such a challenge at first when funding isn't there. That is a challenge that we do. I have talked through and worked through with, with some people. We, um, you know, it's quite a chore to having to learn all the skills. Some people are not tech savvy and they have to, it takes them 10 years to learn what someone else can do in an hour or two. So, yeah, it sounds like funding and that buy in from other people is, it can be really important for helping things get off the ground or getting to that next stage in a company. What has your perception been from the Canadian economy about having eco-friendly plant-based companies or initiatives or organizations? How has that been for you? In, uh, in Canada, I feel, um, having lived in other places, I mean, it, things like this can be a little slower uh, depending because the West coast is quite different from the East coast. Actually, we're a very big country. We, there has been research into what people grab on shelves and what they go for. So lately it's been shown that beautiful eco packaging, that is what people are looking for. They feel better about buying something that is, you know, sustainable. It's an easy purchase. It's like, especially if the price is comparable to something that's like in plastic or something toxic. So that is changing and shifting. Consumer dem is demanding. They're actually demanding also that the company stands for something else. So this is why we see now a lot of companies offering like a percentage to a certain charity or some companies um, do it, not knowing that it helps them, <laughs> but the research is showing that it actually really does help uh, sales as well. And um, if we choose, if we choose charities and organizations that really speak to ourselves, who we are, we're doing it for the right reasons as well, not just for, you know, corporate reasons and profit. But um, that is one thing that is shifting stuff in, in Canada is, um, and beyond is that people are demanding for companies to stand for justice. And it's a great place to be because we can 
we can, um, as corporations, I think it's unbelievable what we can do in terms of um, impact and changing the game for animals and for humans. So just like the corporations of the world, huge ones have essentially destroyed certain sectors and forests and things like that. We also collectively have the power to change that uh, and make it right. So unfortunately, it's the smaller and medium-sized scale companies that are thinking like this and the larger ones slower. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, are there any other points or initiatives that you're working on or that have crossed your path that we haven't yet discussed, but that you think would be important to be aware of and that you would like to share? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to keep it to one. I, I will promise to keep this short. I think that there's a few sectors or a few initiatives happening that do have the potential to be a higher impact. So if someone's listening and thinking, man, like I want to be active or I want to do some good and I just, where am I going to put my effort? Where is the return on my time investment type thing? I love the idea of um, helping make the switch for subsidies. That's one area that I'm really going to look more into. There are organizations in the United States, but also one in Canada called Nation Rising that is doing an incredible job at trying to change the subsidies because that's a huge hurdle where our money and government is pouring money into the, the um, unhealthy industries, for example, animal agriculture. So that needs to change. The other part of that is trying to affect change at the food system level. So looking at all the organizations helping farmers switch to plant-based, sustainable, veganic farming. And that we can do so much, so much good in that area. I recently did connect a farm in Arkansas to a, a mushroom grower that's working out right now. They, they stopped their, their chicken poultry operation and they're switching it all into mushrooms. And there are so many more in Europe and Miyoko Shinner, who is doing an incredible job in the United States um, with her company, she's aiming to change dairy. So that to me, you know, that at that level, not to say individual activism isn't wonderful and, you know, talking about food or going into nutrition after university and making sure we're helping people nutritionally where the medical system lacks or like Dr. Clapper's initiative, moving medicine forward. I love that because it's going into medical schools and talking to them about what is lacking in their program and how to, he has basically a whole curriculum built for nutrition. And of course what um, doctors Kazam <laughs> are doing and, and it's just, it's so beautiful. So that's what I love is trying to affect change at that level. Um, because I do feel we don't have a lot of time, a ton of time. So thanks for asking that. Speaking of time, before we get into our last question, where can people find out more about what you're working on and yourself? Sure. So um, we can link. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. That is really my, my uh, platform of choice right now. But also, uh, if you send me a message at Margot at Rising dash mothers.com that's where i respond uh and signing up for that summit will allow everyone to get updates as well even if you're not a mother yourself if you want to know about health longevity is such an important topic because to me i've lived in two of the so-called blue zones of the world and watching people thrive it's one thing to live a long time it's another thing to be healthy and thriving to the very last day until we're done 
So watching 105 year olds running on the beach, things like this. So um, it's that site that I mentioned earlier. It's www.rising-mothers.com. Thank you for sharing that. And lastly, what would you like your final take-home message for the listeners to be? Oh, wow. Thank you. There's so many final messages, but I will say to me, plant-based, this this is called Plant-Based Canada, you know, this whole podcast, this whole uh, initiative. It's such important work. And if you're listening, thinking, wow, you know, um, could it be that a plant-based lifestyle is right for me or that it's it's right for everybody? I really encourage everyone to look into that because I do feel that it is our birthright. So my final message is just um, stick to doing research, getting our confidence up about it, and um, also talking to, to parents, you know, who are raising their children this way. So thank you. Thank you, Margot, for joining the Plant-Based Canada podcast. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so, so much for for, um, doing this and for inviting me. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from freesound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Margot Corey, for speaking with us and sharing her insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.